Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. Who's kind of excited in a way to get to heaven and hear what it's going to sound like in heaven? We're like 400 people here. We're going to be one speck of grain of what this is going to sound like in heaven. It's going to be pretty awesome, isn't it? It's going to be pretty incredible. The sound of heaven can come in our words as we sing. The sound of heaven can come when we're on our knees beside our bed in prayer. The sound of heaven can come when you're having a coffee with someone who's fighting a battle. The sound of heaven can come when you get into the Word of God and it just feels like this fresh manner. The words jump out at you like you've never read them before. The sound of heaven. God has given us an incredible sound of heaven. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you actually designed church to be people and people are fun. That we can celebrate together. That we can laugh. We can cry. We can shout your name victoriously. We can declare that you are surrounding us. You are watching over us. You have gone before us and you are victorious. We thank you for this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all take a seat? Thank you, band. Fantastic. Wow, what a morning, eh? What a morning. So good to be here. Pity for you if you're up the top of the mountain. I've always wanted to do that, actually. I've kind of wanted to do it. Run up the mountain. I've always wanted to do it. I should do it, shouldn't I? Next year? Next year. Are we back in time to preach? How about that? Oh, you're an idiot, Sean. You're an idiot. Can you whack that uh, slide up for me, Aiden? The giant you are battling might be big, but it ain't bigger than Jesus. The giant you are battling might be big, but it ain't bigger than Jesus. And all you grammatical police out out there said, Amen. Louis Giglio is a southerner, so I think the word ain't is okay. The title of my message this morning is, It Ain't Bigger Than Jesus. It Ain't Bigger Than Jesus. And as I thought about the title of this message, I was really cognizant of the fact that I can't throw out a title of a message without making sure that I've got a faith that is active and leaning into this. Because if I'm going to say that it ain't bigger than Jesus, I've got to be able to step into that and believe that. I've got to be able to step into that. Knowing that that a voice going out, I'm just representing what the church is here, that a voice is going out there. Do you know that we have uh, numerous people, the, the, the spread is getting wider, who are listening to us on YouTube or watching us on YouTube and listening to us on a podcast each week. God is building his church in so many different ways, people. In 1860, a Frenchman by the name of Charles Blondin 
made history by crossing the mighty Niagara Falls, a distance of some 340 metres on a tightrope. Whether enticed by the intrigue or as a gimmick, word got out and by the time that Charles took his first step on this tightrope, it was reported that there was thousands upon thousands of people watching. The rope was one some 160 metres above the raging falls. And as the story goes, he made the crossing no less than a dozen times on this day. Each time with an added degree of difficulty. The first time, I can't even do it without... He just walked. 340 metres... 160 metres above a raging falls. One single rope. He just walked. The second time he did it, he added a, a degree of difficulty. Just a little bit. He did it on stilts. And then he thought, well, that's not good enough. So he brought with himself a bicycle. 340 metres across, 160 metres above. No safety rope. This was 1860. No workplace health and safety officer saying, don't put the onion on the bottom or the top. This was just Charles and a piece of rope. The third time he did it, he did it blindfolded. I get giddy just doing this. The fourth time he did it, he took a portable camp stove out there and he cooked an omelette in the middle. I wasn't there, but I'm just going what I was, was written down. As was expected, every time he did it, there was oohs and ahs from the crowd. Ooh, ah. There was a few wowees. On the last time across, he got a wheelbarrow, filled it with 82 kilos of potatoes, the weight, he said, of an average human person. He stood at one end and he took off 340 metres, pushing a wheelbarrow with 82 kilograms of potatoes. When he got back to the other end, the crowd was in fever pitch. And it was this point that Charles got up on a rock and he addressed his audience and he said, you've seen me do this on no less than a dozen times, blindfolded on stilts, on a bicycle, I've cooked an egg and I've just pushed 82 kilos in a wheelbarrow across and back. And he said these words, do you believe I can carry a person across in a wheelbarrow? The crowd erupted and enthusiastically yelled, Yes, you are the greatest tightrope walker in the world. We believe in you. Okay, said Charles. Who wants to go first? The story goes that the boisterous crowd was silent. A second time, Charles yells out, You've seen me do it. Not once, but on numerous occasions. 
Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Extracting exactly the same response. A bit of fidgeting. People looking down, don't look at me. Knowing the response he would get, Charles Blunden chose not to ask a third time. Instead, he packed up his gear, turned to the crowd and said this, You declare that you believe, yet your actions indicate otherwise. You declare that you believe, but your actions indicate otherwise. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Today we are going to look at uh, one story and uh, also, Kieran, sorry, just under my chair there, man. I need that little black thingy. Yeah, beautiful. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Uh, We're going to look at one story in the book of Daniel. Daniel, for those who don't know, it's in the Old Testament, somewhere after Psalms, uh, somewhere after there. I think it's after Ezekiel, for all of those people there. Um, It is a 12-chapter epic. Get into the Word. Daniel is an awesome book. Uh, The story I'm going to look at involves four young men who we're going to meet in a few moments. Before I do, uh, last week, in part one of the service of this series, I got to speak on our personal responsibility to give ourselves a fighting chance. I spoke about the personal responsibility it is for us to put on the armour that God has equipped us with. God has empowered and equipped us and he is encouraging in this passage in Ephesians to put on the armour that he has given us, to put on the belt, to put on the shoes, to put on the helmet, to put on that breastplate of righteousness, to put on the things. Today I want to focus on the understanding that the shield of faith is not an optional extra that we keep in the cupboard. The the shield of faith is not something that we walk out the door and say, well, I won't need you today because I'm actually in a good period of my life. Things are going okay. Every time I get to work, I get the first car park. Business is just booming to me. Everything's just happening. My relationship is good. So I'll just leave my shield of faith there because I don't need you. Can I tell you this? In faith, Noah built a boat. In faith, Rahab protected the men. In faith, Abraham walked a journey to the top of the hill. In each of these three occasions, they were just doing their thing. They were just doing their thing. In faith, Moses led millions out of slavery. By faith, an army marched around the walls of a place where they said the walls would not fall down, could not fall down, will not fall down. But they marched around them and marched around them. And in faith, those walls fell down. Can I tell you this? And you can tweet this one if you want to. Faith does not have supporters. It has participants. Faith does not have supporters, it has participants. It is not about us sitting on the sidelines and yelling for somebody else's faith. We've got to get in the game. I was reading a book recently by a a, a leadership guru, a guy called Alan Stam. 
Uh, the book's, I think the book's called Why Leaders Fight. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. It's a fantastic book. Why Leaders Fight, I think it is. And in it, he uses this data where he's, um, he's studying over 2,500 leaders based over the last 130 years. It's a great book. And, and for those who don't know, our bodies, each one of us, our bodies are built with what we call a fight or flight response. That's what's inside of us. Uh, so basically, if a tiger comes leaping out of us, Alicia will probably fight it and Bernie will run. We have a fight or flight response. In each one of us, we have this fight or flight type response. And Stam said this, in studying over 2,500 leaders, he said this, he said that a common trait was found amongst the highest level leaders with significant power that they have an inane ability to almost predict fight and flight before anybody else. And that's the reason why most powerful people who are dealing with things will be able to take the element of surprise over others. They take the upper hand. In the story we're reading here in the book of Daniel, it's set around 600 BC and a guy called King Nebuchadnezzar. If I ever become king, I want you to crown me as Nebuchadnezzar because that is a kind of cool name. King Nebuchadnezzar, I crown thee. That's awesome. King Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne and King Nebuchadnezzar has power issues. Read through it. Read through 2 Chronicles, all of these things. King Nebuchadnezzar has power issues. One commentary actually uh, refers King Nebuchadnezzar as a, uh, a megalomaniac or an egocentric despot. That's kind of not something you put on your bio for Instagram, is it? Megalomaniac. But in the very first verse of Daniel, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Other translations say the land of Judah was decimated by the Babylonians. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar did not stop at just decimating the physical remnants of the city. He made sure that these now displaced inhabitants could not rise up against him because that's what leaders will do in, the, in this situation. And someone like King Nebuchadnezzar is that they don't want to get into the fight. They don't want to get into it. So they've broken down the physical land and now they're going to break down the people. So what he does is he sets about enculturating the young Israelite lads into the ways and the cultures of the Babylonian people. We're going to take it up from Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Brody, I'm going to need you, man. Come up here. We're going to be a bit interactive today. Come on, quick, run up. Okay. Then the king, that's me, Nebuchadnezzar. No, no, me. The king ordered Ashpenath, that's you, you're the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and noble family who had been brought to Babylon as captives. I want you to go and grab four people. They actually know who they are. But I want you to go and grab four people, young men. Put up your hands, four men. Where are they? Oh, they're over there. Chief of staff, go that way. <laughs> Never work with kids or animals. <laughs> Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men is my order I give to you. 
Make sure they are well versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the languages and literature of the Babylon way. Daniel, you got Daniel? Hananiah, Mishael and Azira, you can bring them up, were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. This was a place that had been destroyed. Ashpenath, a.k.a. Brody, removed them with these, Bab- sorry, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Where's me fourth? Crikey. Okay, you're going to rename them. You're Daniel. Yeah. You're Shadrach. You're Meshach. And you're Abednego. You got it? Who are you? Daniel. Daniel. Meshach. Shadrach. 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 Meshach. Meshach. Bendigo. Bendigo. Bendigo is a great place in Victoria. That'll do. All right. Come over here, guys. Over here. Chief of Staff, take him over there. Before I go on, before I go on, I want to give you a spoiler alert. For those who need to go home a little bit early today, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert because I'm going to give you the ending now. And it's this. God will use your faith for his purpose. Let that sink in. God will use your faith for his purpose. In the very last recorded verse of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was at the start besieging a town, enculturating young boys into the ways of what he wanted, was titled as an egocentric, power-hungry, evil despot, King Nebuchadnezzar said this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honour the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and all his ways are just. God will use your faith for his purpose. There were some rough edges to King Nebuchadnezzar, Who knows there's some rough edges to all of us? God didn't call us to be perfect. God called us to have a faith. He didn't call us to be perfect, people. We have rough edges. It's okay to have the rough edges as long as we are walking in the characteristics of what Christ has set before us. We will face battles. King Nebuchadnezzar witnessed a faith, which we're going to see in a moment, in three young men and Daniel in a different story. You're just there for the the good looking of it, Daniel. And as a result, declared this. The giants you are battling are big, but they ain't bigger than Jesus. Okay, Daniel 3, stay there. Keep them there. Daniel 3, 1 to 12. I'm reading from the message translation on this one. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue. I'll do it slowly. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue. 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. And as he built this, he set it up on the Jura Plains in the province of Babylon.
He then ordered all the important leaders in the province, everybody who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came from the dedication. All the important people. That's where you can go. You're an important person. And they took their place before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, Attention everyone, attention. Every race, colour and creed, listen. When you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets and trombones, the tubers and the baritones, the drums and the cymbals, fall to your knee, fall to your knees, and worship the gold statue that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has set up. Anybody who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. So you guys can come over here. Daniel, you've got to stay, man. You're not part of this story. It goes on and says this. This is the Bible, people. The Bible is live and it is active and it is there for our enjoyment and our living and our learning. It said this, the band started to play. Just pretend Andrew's playing. A huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon and everyone, everyone, which is just our chief of staff, everyone, every race, every colour and every creed fell to their knees and worshipped that gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band start playing, that everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statues. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship would be thrown into a roaring furnace. Well, let me tell you this. There are some here, Shadrach. No, who are you? Shadrach. Meshach. Bendigo. There are these three whom you have placed in high authority and they are ignoring you, O king. Why? Because they don't respect your gods and they won't worship the gold statue that you've set up. And that's a good gold statue. Verse 13. (laughs) Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into... Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were brought before him. You're brought before me. He was ordered they were brought before them and he said this to them. Is it true, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Is it true that you have refused to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sounds of the instruments. One more chance. But if you refuse, you will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Why don't we give these guys a round of applause? Thanks, Daniel. Didn't need you on this one.
It's okay to have a bit of fun in church sometimes, yeah? It's okay to have a bit of fun. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were amazed at the skill of a guy walking across Niagara Falls on a single rope. They cheered and they shouted. They proclaimed this guy to be the greatest tightrope walker ever. In 1860, it would have been a fair effort to get from where they were to where this, was, where this guy was. It would have been an incredible effort on horseback, walking, probably for days to get where the Niagara Falls was. And sometimes in life, we can put in a great effort. Sometimes in life, we can feel like we've gone the hard yards and the extra mile. And when they got to Niagara Falls, they're probably, look at me, I got here. I'm here to witness this. And the story goes that not one person would step out in faith and say, use me. This struck me because I believe that the mandate on the church of today is not about our attendance, is not about us looking like we do the right thing. Those things all come. Those things are important. Sunday in church is really important because it shows a body of people that are together celebrating our King. But it's when the faith aspect comes that sometimes we sink back a little bit. When God's saying to you, I need you to step up. When we walk into that which we do not see, which is what the writer of Hebrews said. Faith doesn't have our career all lined up for us. Faith doesn't have our family things all lined up for us. We've got to step into it. We think that, yeah, I'm doing okay in my career and I can walk into these things here because next year my career will be even better and my health will be good. Look at me, I'm strong and I'm fit and my family's going well. So I'm just going to keep walking into these things. Sometimes we've got to step into that which we do not know yet, which is faith. But we've got to do it believing that God has gone before us, that God has purposed and God is purposing us. I believe the very principle of our faith journey lies in the next three verses of this story. Three of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Three young men, commentaries will say they're probably anywhere from 13 to 16, wherever it may be, depending on the commentary you read. 
three young men were face to face before the very battle of life itself. There was one simple thing for them to do. Bow down to the idol that I have set up. Bow down to the idol of money. Bow down to the idol that the world will put out there. Just do it. It's not too hard. Just get on your knees. Just bow down to it. But these three boys said, no, there is no other God but our God in heaven. And we will not bow down. We will not bow down. Three young men, probably not even old enough to shave yet, stood face to face, face with the very battle of life itself. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't say to them, well, if you don't bow down, that's okay. I'm just going to dump you from your job and you'll get on with it. King Nebuchadnezzar said, no, if you do not bow down, I will throw you into the furnace and you will burn. You will die. This is life extinct for you. Just do it. The very principle of our faith lies in these next three verses. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. then some of the most stunning words that I meditate on very regularly. Verse 18. Three words. But if not. I will stand before my God. Knowing that you have gone before me. Knowing that you have my life in your hands. But if not, faith is about walking into the but if nots. Church, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. We do know that our God has gone before us and he's cleared the path and he's surrounding us. He's fighting those battles. What we know is that when Christ died on the cross, we could say, but if not, Because if Christ had not died on the cross, we could not step into that knowing that we were saved. We could not step into it knowing that our salvation was assured. But when Christ died on the cross and rose three days later, He defeated death once and for all. And we could step into it saying, but if not, I do not know, but I know, I I know and I know and I know that I will not serve the gods before me. I will only serve you. died and rose again 
we can shout those words from the rooftop. And I'm not being jovial about this because the battles are real and the battles hurt. And they wound us. And they take chunks out of us. And that's why Paul said in the book of Ephesians, put on the armour that I give you in order that you may stand firm. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to finish a little bit differently this morning. Because in just a moment, I'm going to read one verse or one passage. I'm going to read a prayer that I've actually written. It's not a spontaneous prayer because I got on my knees and I wrote this prayer. And then I'm going to ask the band, we're finishing a little bit earlier, I'm going to ask the band to go into that medley we did surround battles and stuff I'm just going to ask you as you stand there this morning that in just a moment I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to get you to picture the words that come out of the Psalms and then to pray with me just in your own mind I'm going to pray it from aloud up here. And during that period of time, we've got our pastoral care team will be, will be uh, having a look and seeing because I believe that this morning is an incredibly important moment in the life of a few people. I believe that this morning that there is unfinished business with people that there is a number of people who over the last week or month or year or journey, wherever it have been, have been struggling with to be able to stand firm in the faith and to be able to say those words, but if not, are too hard. And so as I, in just one moment, as I read this very simple passage, as I pray this prayer and then as the band plays if that's you I'm going to ask you just to come up to the side here just in front over here on my left your right because we've got a pastoral care team who want to walk that journey with you this is between you and God if you find that this moment is really challenging for you, grab the person next to you and say, can you walk with me? Because that's what we do. And if you're the person next to them, walk with them. And I ask you to close your eyes. It's just a few minutes out of our day. If you can stand firm in your faith at the moment and you have standing firm in your faith, I'm asking right now that maybe that, that you're just reaching out and you're praying for the person next to you, the person behind you, for family members, whoever it might be. I want you to just, just engage with God right now because your job is not done. It's about engaging now, praying for others. 
soon as I start, if you wanted to start walking out, all eyes are closed. Feel free to do that right now. Right now. All eyes are closed. Fantastic. Keep. There's more going to come. I believe there's more going to come. Who is saying, I want to stand firm in the faith. I want to be able to stand firm and say, but if not. All eyes are closed. I want to join these people, if that's you. Keeping your eyes closed, if that's others. If you want to join them, as I say this passage now. Psalm 46. God is our refuge. God is our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the surging, I will declare that God is my refuge, that God is my strength, that God is ever present in my life. Dear Lord, I pray that as I rise each day and see what the world brings, that I have the courage to declare, but if not, I pray that as I approach situations, that I do so with a front-footed faith which helps me stand firm. I pray that as a battle arises physically, spiritually or emotionally, that I can feel your power knowing that you surround me. God, I pray, give me the desire and ability to see you, to hear you, to talk to you and to give thanks to you. And as I do, I pray that I will draw nearer and nearer to you and that my faith will multiply in new, deeper ways that will recognize that you are everything everything I ever hoped you would be and so much more. I love you, God. I love you, God. This is how I fight my battles. Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.